Joshua chapter 6 is where we find ourselves this morning. Uh, Joshua is the uh, sixth book of the Old Testament, right after the book of Deuteronomy. So if you'll turn to Joshua chapter 6 as we continue our series on favorite Bible stories by looking at what is commonly known as the fall of Jericho. Israel has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It's a really long time. Uh, but now they've, they've crossed the Jordan River and it is time for them to conquer the land that God had promised them. Joshua chapter 6, we'll read the entire chapter. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, so they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city." Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. 
But of the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord, be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. In the um, 1990s, there was a, a children's song that came out, and the children's song is called Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. It's actually based on, a, on an old African-American spiritual that was written sometime in the 1800s, and children, maybe you've heard this song before, parents, maybe you've heard this song before. I'm not going to sing it for you, um, but it's, it's actually kind of catchy. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Right up to the walls of Jericho, they marched with spear in hand. Go blow the ram's horns, Joshua cried, because the battle is in my hand. It's a catchy song, but the um, lyrics aren't really that good. Um, it, It makes it sound as if Joshua is the one who won the victory. He's the one who won the battle. It it makes it sound that that Joshua was this confident military general who who went up to his people and said, go blow your horns, I've got this. The battle is in my hands. That's unfortunately a a man-centered way to look at this story. What we see here is not that Israel won because Joshua was such a great general. What we see here is not that Israel won and took the city of Jericho because they were so smart, clever, powerful militarily. What we see here is that God won this victory for his people apart from anything that Israel did. And that God used very unconventional means to win this battle. This is how God works. He even tells us this, for example, in Isaiah chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God often does things we don't expect. God often works in ways that that we can't even really conceive of. God tells us there that that his thoughts and and his ways are higher than our thoughts and our ways. And, And that comes out so clearly in this passage this morning. This is a story, a real story, about God. About his power, about his faithfulness. And also about a terrifying day that will one day come upon this entire world. 
There are, are three things that we want to look at in this passage this morning, three truths that we want to consider. First of all, God works in ways we don't expect. Second, God judges those who reject him. And, and third, God saves those who believe in him. So first, God works in ways we don't expect. Notice how the passage begins in verse 1. It says, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. This city is on total lockdown at this point. Now, there are a number of things that we know about the city of Jericho. First of all, Jericho was not a very big city. We, we might, for some reason, picture it as this mammoth city, but it was actually around 10 acres in size, which is not a huge amount of land. Secondly, Jericho was also a very uh, beautiful city. Jericho sat almost 1,000 feet below sea level. Some even say it was the lowest city on the face of the planet. And because of its supply of, of spring water, it was very lush and it was known as the city of palms. Third, the, the name Jericho means the moon city. And so children, because of that, uh, we can assume that it was called this because it was the center for moon worship. The, the moon god Yarik was the center of the worship of the people of Jericho. And then fourth, the city was surrounded by two walls. There was a, an outer city wall and an inner city wall, and both of those walls were about five feet thick. So these are, are big, big, thick walls. And so Jericho was a, a beautiful city. It was also a very secure city. But, but now we come to this point and we notice the city is on complete lockdown. They, they've heard about Israel, they, they've heard about what Israel had done to kings and nations, and so they, they closed the city down. No one can come in, no one can go out. And at this point, we notice that God gives to Joshua a promise. Notice what it is in verse 2. The Lord says to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. Now if you're Joshua, you're thinking to yourself, this sounds really good. God has just promised that he's giving us the city. He's, he's telling us that we're going to take down their, their king and their army. And, and if you're Joshua, this great military general, you, you're probably thinking to yourself at this point, okay, we've got a few options here. God's just told us we're going to take Jericho. Option number one is that we can surround the city. No food can come in and, and we'll just wait them out. Either they'll give up or they'll starve to death and we can go in and take the city. So option one is we can surround the city. Option two, Joshua has to be thinking we can, we can also build a siege ramp. And we can, we can put that siege ramp up against the wall and we can send a few thousand of our best soldiers over that siege ramp into the city of Jericho and we'll take the city. And so as a, a military general, that's what you're thinking you're thinking militarily. You're thinking about what you can do as, a, as an army. But, but children, you know the story and you know that's not the plan. What's the plan? Well, it's certainly not what we'd expect. It's certainly probably not what Joshua would expect. The, the Lord says to Joshua, Joshua, take your army and I want you to march around the city once a day for six days. In addition, I want you to have... Um, 
seven priests walking in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and, and each priest is to blow a ram's horn. Do that, do that for six days, and then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. And on the, and on the seventh trip around the city, when the priests blow their horns, have the people shout as loud as they can, and when that happens, the walls of Jericho will collapse, and you can go in and take the city. That's the plan. March around for seven days, blow some horns, shout really loudly on the last day, and and you'll take the city. I don't know if you've ever read this book before or heard of it, but um, there's a book called The Art of War. It it was written by a, a fifth century BC Chinese military strategist named Sun Tzu. It's a famous book. It's a, it's a book that is, are, is still used today for, for military strategy. I've never read the book, but I can't imagine that Sun Tzu, in that book, The Art of War, uses this as a wise military strategy. Walk around a city, blow some trumpets, get people to yell really loudly, and then you can take the city. But that's what they do. It's crazy, right? That's what they do. Day one, they march around the city once, and, and you can imagine the Israelites are thinking, what are we doing? What, what is this going to accomplish? And the Israelite troops, if, if you've been training as a, as a, a military person, you, you've got to be thinking, when are we just going to go in there and fight? When are we going to go in there and, and, and take the city instead of just walking around it? But, but day, do, day two, they do it again. Day three, they do it again. Day four, day five, day six. Now, most of us here, we, we know the story. We know where this is headed. But, but imagine you, you go home today and you turn on the news and there's this nation's army that's just walking around the city of their enemy. That's all they're doing. There's no planes. There's no tanks. There's nothing. They're just, they're just marching. You, you would say to yourself, this is ridiculous. Army just marching around another city? But, but there's an important principle here that we don't want to miss. It is a principle that we see throughout Scripture. And, and the principle is that God works in ways we don't expect. God had made a promise to his people, hadn't he? He had promised to give them the promised land. He was going to fulfill that promise. And one of the ways that he would fulfill that promise is by defeating the city of Jericho. But he's not going to do it in the way that we would think. He's not going to do it in the way that we would expect. He's not going to use the power of the Israelite army. He's not going to use the clever strategy of of Joshua and his close confidants. He's going to do it in a totally unexpected way. And again, you've got to think, as the people march around the city, as the people watch this going on, thinking to themselves, this is really weird. This doesn't make sense. And there are times in your life when when you're going to wonder the same thing. There are times when we would think that, that God would be better off using the powerful and and the influential 
and the wealthy and the famous to build his kingdom. I mean, why would, why would God use people in a little town of 15,000 people when he could use people who are much more powerful and much more famous and much more influential than we are? He could go to L.A. or San Francisco or New York City and, and find people who have more gravitas than we have. Why would he use us? Why would he use the ministry of a local church when in the eyes of the world, the, the local church seems so insignificant? Why would he use a man standing behind a piece of wood talking for 30 minutes every Sunday to grow his people spiritually? There's got to be better ways to do that, we would think. Why would he use a, a, a few people gathered for a prayer meeting as a means to accomplish his purposes? Why would he use the, the simple work of parents to raise children to be faithful followers of Jesus? We often think there, there has to be better ways than these. But, but God does the unexpected. Take your Bible for just a moment and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is, this is not the first time and the only time in the Bible where we are told here in Joshua that, that God works in ways we don't expect. Paul tells us the same thing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. To the unbeliever, the message of the cross is foolishness. You've probably, maybe, had people say to you before, really? Isn't Christianity just a crutch for weak people? People will say things like, you, you mean you believe you're going to heaven because a man died on a piece of wood 2,000 years ago? That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. But, but God works this way. He works in ways we don't expect. He works in ways that are foolishness in the eyes of the world so that he will receive all the glory. He gets all the praise. He gets all the credit. And, and maybe right now God is, is, maybe he's not working in the circumstances of your life the way you would expect him to or the way that you would want him to. 
Uh, Maybe you're saying to God, you know, Lord, this is how I would like you to do things. Brothers and sisters, God is sovereign. God is working. He's working always for our good and for his glory. We must believe that promise. We must live our lives in light of that promise. He often does things we don't expect. His timetable is not always ours. But he is working. Now the second thing we see here is that that God judges those who reject him. People of Israel, they they do what God tells them to do. Every every day they go out and they march around the city once. The priests are blowing their horns. You've got the armed soldiers walking along. They're just holding their weapons. They're not using them. The Ark of the Covenant is being carried in the the middle of this procession. And, And other than horns being blown, everyone else is silent. There's no talking. And, and they do this for, for six days. And on the seventh day, they get up really early. They get up at the dawn of day and, and do the same thing they've done the last six days, only this time they march around the city seven times. And on the seventh trip around the city, the horns are being blown and Joshua says, shout. And the people shout as loudly as they can. Verse 20 of Joshua 6 says the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. I said to you a few weeks ago, you know, there are some, there are some stories in the Bible we wish we could have been present. And I think this is one of those stories. Imagine being there that day and, and all you've been doing for seven days is walking Nothing else other than that. No talking. And and finally, seventh trip around the city, you all shout and the walls just come down flat. There's no battering ram. There's no missiles. There's no explosives. The walls just go flat when the people shout. That's the power of God, isn't it? Verse 21, notice, then tells us that they then devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. If you drop down to verse 24, it says they burned the city with fire and everything in it. I'm going to guess this morning that there's at least some of us who are kind of uncomfortable with this. We read verse 21 and we read verse 24 and it just doesn't sit right. And I get it. This is a hard, hard truth. The wall of the city comes down. Israel goes into the city. And they wipe out every living thing. And then they burn the city with fire. There's some people who who will use this as a reason to reject God. And to say, I would never, ever believe in a God who is like that. What a monster. And and maybe you're here this morning again, and and these words are are uncomfortable for you. And and you think to yourself, isn't this kind of extreme? Did, did, Did God really need to kill every living thing in Jericho and then and then set the city on fire? But, but any time we ask these kinds of questions, it, it's often because we have failed 
to remember the holiness of God. We failed to remember just how holy God is. We, we kind of turn God into just a bigger version of ourselves. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is holy. He is just. He cannot let sin and rebellion and unbelief just go unpunished. And you know what? It's not like the people of Jericho didn't know anything about God. It's not like they were completely ignorant of what had happened before. If you have your Bible, go back just a moment to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Rahab is is talking to the two spies, and, and notice what she says in verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Interesting, isn't it? The people of Jericho knew what God had done. They had heard of Yahweh. They had heard of his doings. They had heard of the plagues. They had heard of the Red Sea. They had heard how Israel had defeated the two Amorite kings. And and it didn't leave them unaffected. Rahab says our hearts melted. In other words, there, there was no strength in us. We didn't know what to do. And yet, isn't it interesting that outside of Rahab and her family, none of the people of Jericho had responded in repentance and faith. None of those people went to Rahab and said, what must, we be, what must we do to be saved from this God? They'd heard about God. They'd heard about his power. Again, hearing what God had done to the Egyptians and the Amorites freaked them out. They were terrified. But that's as far as they went. There was no repentance There was no looking to this one God in faith. They they continued in their rebellion. They continued in their unbelief. And God brought judgment upon them. Brothers and sisters, Scripture is very clear that God must punish sin. This is a warning that is repeated many, many times in the Bible. If you want to turn over to Romans chapter 1 for a moment, I want you to notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And stop there for just a moment. Everyone has 
this innate sense that there is a God. We look at creation around us. God has revealed himself in creation to the people of Jericho, to the people of Ripon. To everyone in human history, God has made it plain. So all of us are without excuse. Notice what Paul says next. For although they knew God, although they knew there is a God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. People of Jericho had heard the truth. People of Jericho, just like Paul says, had this innate understanding that there is a God. But they suppressed the truth. They they rejected the knowledge they had been given and they refused to cry out to him that they might be saved. Think of all the people today uh, mindlessly going through life. You live near them, you work with them, you go to school with them. You might be related to some. They go to work, they go to school, they pursue their hobbies, they go on vacations. But they give no thought to the state of their soul. They are suppressing the truth. They are rejecting the knowledge that God has given to them. They they care not about their sin They care not about God's holiness. They give no thought what a terrifying thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. And our hearts ought to break at that. All the people alive today who are suppressing the truth about God. Think about the nation in which we live. How long before God judges this nation for its moral atrocities? We slaughter the unborn and think nothing of it. We redefine gender. We redefine marriage. This nation tramples on the law of God. Really, how long before the judgment of God falls upon this country for its increasing wickedness. A a day of judgment is coming that is far worse and and far more terrifying than, than what happened here in Joshua 6. Paul talks about that day in 2 Thessalonians. He He says the day will come when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Children, that day will be as real as it's real that we're sitting in this room right now. That day is going to come. What what is your response to that day? 
What is your response to the truth that God has revealed to you? I've had people throughout the years who, who have said to me, you know, when you're up there preaching, you can see everything, right? You can see people who are sleeping. You can see people who are joking around with each other. And, and I know, we all have mornings and days when we're just kind of out of it and we're not all that attentive. Somebody says something funny and you laugh, and that's fine. But I've seen all kinds of responses throughout my years. Years ago, I was preaching in Canada, and a gentleman sitting near the front put his foot up on the pew in front of him, and he put his wrist on his knee, and he looked at his watch for the whole time I preached. I'm pretty sure he was telling me, hurry up, this is taking too long. I've seen all kinds of responses in 20 plus years of doing this. The response that troubles me is the response of continual indifference to the word of God. Sitting here because you have to be here. Sitting there wishing you were anywhere else. That's the response that deeply troubles me. This truth that God tells us this morning that there is a day of judgment coming is a very real truth. I I pray that none of us here this morning takes this truth lightly. Now that day is not here yet. The, The Bible describes the time in which we live now as the day of salvation. In other words, there is time to repent of your sin, to believe the gospel, to embrace the Lord Jesus as the only one who can save us from judgment. But but don't presume upon the Lord's patience. Don't assume that you can wait a day or a week or a month or a year Come to him now while there is still time. Come to him before his wrath comes upon those who reject him because one day it will come. Now there's a third truth and a glorious truth for us and that is that God saves those who believe in him. Not everyone was destroyed that day in Jericho. Rahab, world's oldest profession. She was a prostitute. But she was a believer. She came to know God by his grace. She had believed in the one true God and she is to be spared when destruction comes upon that city. Verse 22 says, the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said to them, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belong to her. Rahab is one of my favorite Bible characters. She's a reminder that the gospel is good news for anyone who believes. Doesn't matter how great our sin, doesn't matter how black our past, doesn't matter the things that we have done. God saves 
any who come to him. And you know, from a human perspective, Rahab was an extremely unlikely candidate to be a follower of God. But I think that's the point. None of us by nature are likely candidates. None of us are worthy of salvation. But no matter how great our sin, no matter how dark our past, no matter the skeletons that are buried in our closets, God will save all who come to him in repentance and faith. A day of judgment is coming. This passage warns us of that. And it will affect every single person who has rejected Jesus Christ. But for all who come to him in true faith, for for all who embrace him as the only hope of salvation, we can rejoice this morning. Because brothers and sisters, when that day comes, we, like Rahab, will be spared from that judgment. How thankful we are for that. How grateful we are that the God who brought this judgment in history upon the people of Jericho and will one day bring judgment upon this whole earth by his grace will spare us from that judgment. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you give to us uh, so many warnings that judgment is coming. Lord, help us to find our refuge in Christ. Help us to look to him and rest in him and to rejoice that because of him we will be spared one day from that terrifying judgment. For any here or any whom we know who are living in rebellion against you and in unbelief, we pray that you would work in their hearts and bring them to Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunities to tell others of this coming day and to tell them as well about the good news that there is rescue through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in his name.